Amen. Good stuff. Yeah. There you go. So, um, get these outlines. You pass these out. Yeah. Right inside here. So, um, it, just to say it, if the outlines aren't your thing, that's totally fine. You don't have to use the outline. Um, if you're more like, take, you have your journal here, use your journal. It does not hurt my feelings. So, just say that. Um, so, there's, as we're passing those out, a cool development in Roland's life, uh, if you want to know. So, is a, is a couple things going on. So, we're at the stage now, we're trying to like mitigate the, the potty talk, you know? It's pretty, it's pretty rampant. Um, we're just trying to find more creative ways to find humor in the day-to-day. Um, and uh, so he's like, uh, so we also be homeschool Ellie. She's in kindergarten, and Roland's kind of like plays while it happens. But sometimes he kind of listens in, and they're doing letters. And uh, they, they're doing the letter P. And Roland's like, P. <laughs> P-P. And, and it's like, it's Roland, we, we don't say potty talk. He's like, I'm just saying letters. <laughs> so he does that. We've created a monster. Because all the time, he'd be like, CC, PP, like no potty talk. He's like, I'm just saying letters. So it's pretty brutal. Like, what do you do to that? What do you do? It's kind of, you got me. I don't know. Yeah, he's, uh, he's smarter than us. Um, I, I can't wait to the teenage years where that comes more into effect. Good luck. So it's kind of an unorthodox place to start, but we're, you, guys, you guys want to dive in with me really quick? So I got this kind of like, kind of reflection slash preamble for us that kind of like walks through some of the deeper parts of our relationship with the Lord. And I think it's kind of, kind of set a tone and, and like a direct trajectory for us as we, as we talk. You guys get with that? So let's just say like, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. All right, here we go. So... And you can kind of you can sit there, arms up, you can shut your eyes, whatever you want. But I'm just going to go through this with us here. But So in all of us, there is this stirring, right? In these moments we have with the Lord, whether that's in adoration, whether that's when we're like before like a majestic scene um, in creation, the mountains, a beach, a sunset. These, these moments actually turn us quiet, right? We're stilled interiorly. The turbulent waters that we're kind of used to living in and swimming in, the noises are kind of stilled. And we're drawn out of our like little limited perspectives. In this place, somehow, we can articulate that we know that we are known. Maybe not quite exactly how, but there's an awareness of a presence outside of ourselves. Psalm 139. This is kind of the... David's getting at it here, but... It says, O Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You beset me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And brothers and sisters, there's a deep well of meaning that resides in our souls. It's out of reach by our command, yet accessible upon our surrender. We can't glimpse the depths, but somehow we know they're there. As if we're standing a few feet away from like a massive canyon. We can't see down, but the presence of it, the enormous nature of it, we're aware of it nonetheless. We're almost shot with a shiver of delight mixed with fear of the unknown. But this fear isn't limiting, it's actually freeing. If you see the fears that usually grip us, the fears of like, will it all work out for me? Will I end up alone? What if no one has my back? 
What if I don't have what it takes? What if life will be too much for me? In the midst of this experience, these fears melt away. The hold on us is, their hold on us is released. And it's there that we hear the invitation. If you would be perfect, go sell what you have and come follow me. And in this moment, in this encounter, for the first time, maybe these words don't seem impossible. Right? In fact, it resonates on every level of our being. We tremble at the implications, but somehow it makes sense. In fact, it makes ultimate sense. We understand that we are loved, and that love itself has invited us to an adventure that will last for eternity. We aren't loved because of our resume. We aren't loved because of our virtue. We aren't loved because of our future. We are just simply loved, and this changes everything. We're loved in our sin. We're loved in our inadequacies. We're loved in our confusion, and this is a thing that changes everything. So, brothers and sisters, we're here to talk tonight about Christian decision-making, talking about discernment. Um, And this decision begins with one fundamental decision. Like, everything I'm going to say tonight is just a silly waste of your time if this fundamental decision has not been made, which is the fundamental decision of a disciple, which is all my life for the rest of my life. That's, That's it. That's the decision of a disciple, all my life for the rest of my life. And if we're there, we start talking about discernment. So what, is, what does a life look like, a life given over to the Lord? Well, here's a little quick snip, snapshot for us. On December 10th, 1979, a five-foot, zero-inch, 70-year-old lady in white and blue robes walked up to a, a stage surrounded by worldwide leaders, the wealthy, the successful, the powerful, to receive the Nobel Peace Prize and preach the gospel on the world stage. This woman we know now as Mother, St. Mother Teresa, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work to bring help to suffering humanity. She's the founder of the Missionaries of Charity. She established orphanages, orphanages, AIDS hospices, charity centers worldwide, caring for refugees, the blind, disabled, aged, alcoholics, the poor, homeless, victims of floods, epidemics, and famine, by over 450 brothers and 5,000 sisters worldwide, operating 600 different missions, schools, and shelters in 120 countries. So how did such a small, quiet, humble person do so much? Well, her life belonged to Jesus, her whole life, for the rest of her life. She didn't do these things. He did them through her. Each yes she made to the Lord from her was, was actually the foundation for her next yes. So each yes she made was the foundation for the next yes. The fertile soil for, soil for making decisions and discerning God's will for her life, her present, her future. So from her fascination at eight years old for the missionary lifestyle to moving to Ireland to discern consecrated life for the Sisters of Loretto, she went through her whole life faithfully, watchfully, trusting in the Lord. It looks slow. It looks daily, mundane even, and sometimes lonely, sometimes dark at many points. But she trusted God to make something beautiful and glorious out of her life, and he did. So the Lord wants to do great things through your life. Amen? Amen. The, Lord, the, the Father has a vision for your life. That's kind of like <laughs> rock-solid principle for like the Father has a vision for your life. The God who created you out of love, as destined for love, has a vision for your life. And if that's not true, then I, we can just drop this mic and start praying because the rest is just doesn't work. We have, we have to say yes to that. We have to stand on that. So but here's a fact, a, a reality you could say. In the Christian life, it's not necessarily just about how you start. It's actually more about how you finish. Now, don't get me wrong. The start's important. We need to, like, launch, right? But... The end, it's actually really important how we finish. So here's a little thing. Um, this is from a book that uh, Paul Stucker sent me. He's a chapter leader at Cincinnati. 
It's a little snippet here. So set the scene. It's, it's a dinner. Um, this young guy, he's going into ministry, is hanging out with his future father-in-law um, on the front porch. This guy has been in ministry for many years, um, and the conversation turns to this man. So, um, and the, man, the, the older man says to the younger, his name is John, he says, John, as you get ready to enter in the ministry, I want to give you some advice. Stay true to Jesus. Make sure that you keep your heart close to Jesus every day. It's a long way from here to where you're going, and Satan is in no hurry to get you. The older man continued, It has been my observation that just one out of ten who start out in full-time service for the Lord at 21 are still on the track by the age of 65. They're shot down morally. They're shot down with discouragement. They're shot down with liberal theology. They get obsessed with making money. But for one reason or another, nine out of ten fall out. And this is the guy's being. Needless to say, I was shocked. He says, I can't believe that. I said, that's impossible. That just can't be true. So that night, I went home, the guy talking, took one of those blank pages in the back of my Bible, and wrote down the names of 24 young men who were my peers and contemporaries. These were young men and women in their 20s who were sold out for Jesus Christ. They were trained for ministry and burning in their desire to be used by the Lord. These were the committed young preachers who would make an impact for the Lord in their generation. And now I can say I am 53 years old. From time to time as the years have gone by, I've had to turn back to that page in my Bible and cross out a name. I wrote down those 24 names when I was just 20 years of age. 33 years later, there are only three names remaining of the original 24. In the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters, but it's how you finish. I read that to my wife, and she was like, the women might have a hard time with that. I don't know if that's true. It's, it's a little jarring, right? But here's the fact. That doesn't have to be our story. Amen? It doesn't have to be our story. We're here right now, right? We have a life ahead of us. We don't have to follow our whims, right? We don't have to, like, follow the cool next trend and get swept away into something. We don't have to do that. Like, we get to learn actually how to surrender our hearts to the Lord. We get to actually learn how to build a foundation and have a long-term vision for how to be disciples for the rest of our life. Amen? So Jesus, the thing is, this is not super rare because Jesus talks about it. He says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's Matthew 7, 21. So if we're going to profess that we are a disciple, we, just, we can't really make decisions like we always have. We can't really make decisions like the rest of the world, right? Because there's a reality here. The reality here is that it's not really like working. The world is not really working for us in this area. So I want to read. Jesus talks about, we're all really familiar with the parable of the sower and the seeds, right? Some fell on the path, gets trampled. Some fell on like the weak soil, sprung up at once. Um, but Jesus actually explains this parable. He doesn't do that much, but he dives into this. So what he says is, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown to them. And these, in like manner, are the ones who sown upon rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight and riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon the good soil are, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. So this is what we're talking about tonight, is how to make good soil, 
how to make good soil for our life as a disciple so that we can actually make good decisions in the Lord. You good with that? Good. So here's the thing. I, I kind of alluded to, to this, but the status quo for making decisions for us uh, will not get us to the will of God. The status quo won't work. What do I mean? So think about how people often make decisions. It's probably something like this. They say stuff like, you know, well, what do you want to do with your life? Well, actually, if we're doing that, if we're saying that, that assumes that life is about you doing what you want to do and not ultimately about what the Father has for you, <coughs> right? So it's, it's like flipped on its head. It's basically saying, like, my will equals God's will. So what I want to do is what needs to happen because my will equals God's will. How else do we make decisions? They say, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Very great. Okay. There's, there's, there's some truth here, but how oftentimes are our passions or what we're passionate about we're passionate about the wrong thing at the wrong time or in the wrong way. Does that happen in our lives? Maybe. Maybe just me. It, it's a reality. The fact is, if we were born uh, without any original sin, we could follow our hearts because our hearts would be completely aligned with the will of God and know it at all times. And there is a part of our redemption that actually brings us in line with that. But to say on the, the front end to follow your heart is actually an incomplete picture for us as young disciples right now. It's, it's leaving out a really important part of the picture. Another thing we say, well, we'll do what gives you life, or this is what gives me life. Great. Is that just what it's about? The Father has life for you. Is it just you figuring that out on your own? Because the fact is, if something gives you life, there's a greater reality to consider here, right? It's not just that. And another one, well, I've always desired to be a mother or a father, or I've always had a crush on this person, so I should get married. Well, hate to break your bubble, but that's a very normal and natural desire to have. And just because you have it doesn't mean that equals exactly what should happen, right? Congratulations, you're very normal. Um, but here's the thing. We're not trying to pursue natural things. We're trying to pursue supernatural things, amen? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's just some good provocative launching us out here. And though some of your questions or things you're thinking right now, they will be answered. If something's kind of great at you, like, I don't know what he's saying there. I don't know if I agree with it. There will be more. So... Hold on to that and give me some grace. So here's some misconceptions. We're going we're gonna to attack these early on so we can kind of get going quick. You ready? First one is uh, that my desires were created good, therefore I can trust my desires. Again, this is a partial truth. Because the fact is our deepest desires are created good. Our desire for love, for belonging, for acceptance, for significance, for meaning. All those are good desires, right? But those are deep, right? And sometimes there's like a lot of dust on top of them. Maybe even like some rock formations. they got to be chiseled away. It's a process. So to say, what happens is, if we kind of go on this, my desires are created good, so I can trust them. But what happens is sometimes we can't differentiate between our wants and these deeper desires, right? And the wants can just be like a sail. They just toss us in the sea, going every which way. So, again, we know that the problem is the fall. You guys, anyone know that, remember the three effects of the fall? I was going to bring money to give away. Yeah, what is the, what is the intellect? It's... Clouded intellect, weakened, weakened will, and disordered slash passions. Yeah, that's the effects of the fall. Clouded intellect, weakened will, and disordered passions. So the fact is, we can't just pretend like the fall didn't happen. But that doesn't mean we're stuck in this reality. We can actually, through Christ, take on his character and his life, and the Holy Spirit can actually redeem us to actually strengthen all three of those areas and become the men and women we were created to be. Amen? It's good news. Um, but again, we can't act like it didn't happen. So... Um, so, yeah, what happens in this reality is our, our wants direct our discernment, which is the definition of immaturity. That's what my kids says. 
Um, so discernment, this is, this is B, discernment is only a little important because all the options in front of me are equally good. Discernment is like kind of important, but all, everything I'm looking at is all basically good so I can choose whatever I want. Again, this is kind of presupposing that the Father doesn't have a vision for our life. Right? It's just kind of me on the steering wheel still, making my own way. This basically boils down to me being able to do whatever I want. <laughs> C, uh, the next one. Discernment can be a game where I either, one, I think about things a lot and analyze them, for you engineers out there, or it's all too ethereal. I don't really understand it. It's not really for me. We can either like, hyper-focus, try to control everything, or we just kind of like, I don't know, whatever, too far out there. So the problem here is fundamental. We don't believe we have a father who loves us, right? We don't, if, if we're going here, um, we don't believe we have a father who loves us. Because either we're trying to control it too much, or we're just saying, screw it, I don't know. It'll work out for me. Um, and there's a truth there, but again, it's, it's a half-truth. So this takes a shift in our disposition, brothers and sisters, because oftentimes we live as orphans. <laughs> Who's heard that before? We often live as orphans. Like, we don't have a father who cares for us. If we don't have a father who cares for us, you best, like, you know, work your butt off and figure it all out and make it all happen because it's all on you to figure it out. You know, here's like, God helps those who help themselves. Which again, partial truth. But if, if I'm also, if I'm saying if it's too ethereal, usually it's just me masking an insecurity, right? Like, I don't know if God will tell me, or I don't really know, so I'm just not going to try. So um, there's a couple qualifiers here, too, as we get our misconceptions in. This is not a dating talk. So um, there are some dating principles in here, but that's not what this is primarily about. Um, and two, I, I actually had a person come up to me a while back and said that he asked me if something I said in a talk was directed at them. I assured them it was not. <laughs> um, and that was the truth. So nothing I say here, um, actually most of this talk wasn't even written by me. Um, and I can assure you that nothing I wrote down or say today is me thinking of someone in particular. So if that comes up, that is not me directed at you. Um, so just know that. Um, I think it's important to say that. I'm not attacking anybody. I can assure you. All right. Um, yeah, now we can get in. <laughs> All right, listen up. So uh, this is fun. So now we, get, now we get the definitions. Who's excited for definitions? Who likes definitions? Yeah, Peter does. His hand was first up. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is what we're saying. And you can, have, you can agree or disagree. If you disagree, just boo me after I say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're seeking to live how God, the Father has for us. And discernment is the process of seeking out where God is leading you. It is the process of seeking out where God is leading you. That is what discernment is. Okay, there we go. That's better. Um, discernment can also be called Christian decision making. So, again, this is way bigger than we think. So the Father wants to lead us. That's really important to say. The Father wants to lead us. It's not supposed to be a game. It's like, like you know, it's not trying to trick us. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way. It's not trying to, to play bait and switch on us. Um, he doesn't want us to wander through life aimless. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's, this is a really important part of this whole equation of his sermon is the Father is actually more interested in your heart than, like, the destination, okay? So, like, if he wanted to, he could just zap you with the information you need. Like, okay, God, should I do this or this? He'd be like, zap, like, thank you. He's, he can do that. That's actually not hard for him at all. But he's actually interested in your heart. So it's not like we're going to God like a vending machine, like, hey, I need an answer. Tell me what to do. But what he's interested in is our heart, is a relationship 
right? He wants a relationship with us. So this discernment thing is way bigger than just me trying to figure things out. This is me kind of narrowing in sometimes, but the Father wants a relationship with us, which means it's actually way, way bigger than we understand or can see. So as we grow in this relationship, we come face-to-face with the Father who loves us, our fears are released, maturity is unleashed in our life, we become more free individuals, right? And we're able to take on the character of Christ and represent him to the world. So again, the sermon is not an obstacle course. God wants us to know his will. He doesn't want us living in this hesitation or confusion. Um, and he actually gives his Holy Spirit to help us, right? The Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The counselor is with us. And Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is with us. So what that means is when we're making decisions, it's not just purely a head game, you know? It's not just purely like X's and O's. It's not just like scientists figured it all out. But there's actually a way our thinking needs to become more spiritual. So think of it this way. Like when, if you've like, if you ever like, you know, given, received the gift of tongues or prayed in tongues, it's like you're still like speaking, but the Lord is like forming those words, right? So it's not this passive kind of me, like, like just sitting there and letting God do everything, but I kind of take a step and the Lord like fills that with his life because I leave an opening for him in faith. I leave faith and God fills that. So it's sort of similar to our thinking is actually our thinking become more spiritual and how we invite the Holy Spirit in. We leave space for him and he fills that gap and makes it spiritual and makes it fruitful and leads us in that area. Does that make sense? It's kind of some spiritual stuff going on here. Um, but this is the spiritual principle that when, when the Holy Spirit does something in us, right, we don't become passive. We are active yet yielded to the Spirit. We're surrendered. So um, active yet yielded is an important part. So God has a plan for us in all of our major life decisions. Um, we, there's a way we need to approach these decisions um, that's different than the world's way. So the world's motto might be follow your heart. The disciples' motto is surrender your heart. Where the world might say follow your heart, the disciple says surrender your heart, right? This is kind of the dichotomy. And it's funny because, right, you delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You've heard that before. That's what this is talking about. What is delighting in the Lord? It's this basic surrender. It's, Lord, Father, you know me better than I know me. You love me more than I love me. Father, you got a vision for me. Um, I want that. And it's a surrender of our heart to the Father who loves us. So I don't know if you, what you experience when you hear that. Maybe it's fear, right? Um, if, you're, if it's kind of fearful about surrendering your heart, I have incredible news for you. The Christian life is amazing. It gets so much better. Like when we have this kind, we pass through this gateway. When Jesus leads us into the love of the Father and to understand who we are and how much we're loved, right? Our lives are opened up in ways we haven't imagined before. Like a whole new horizon, a whole new fruitfulness, a whole new joy. So the surrender of our heart, it changes everything because it kind of like begins the new life God has for us. He can actually lead us and transform us. Good. So it says here, disciples don't follow their heart. They get their heart to follow the Lord. All right, scriptural criteria for making decisions. This is, uh, this is fun stuff. It's really pretty simple. Um, for making a decision, we got to think about God's glory. <laughs> Do all to the glory of God is 1 Corinthians 10. Right? God's glory, that all would know, love, and serve him. Right? This is our purpose. Right? So does this decision glorify God? It's a pretty easy checkbox there. Um, so for Christians, we talked about this um, in December, if you remember, Emily and I were up here. We talked about how, for Christians, the love of God and neighbor is the basis for our action, not first our desires. Remember that? 
talk, um, that like actually our love of God and neighbor is the basis for our action, not first kind of what I'm feeling in the moment, right? Sometimes our desires can like do that, can like well up within us and push us in the direction of love of God and neighbor. Awesome, that's real. That means redemption's happening in your life, praise God. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. We gotta be careful and say, well, actually I can't act on desire here. I need to act what's loving from God and for my neighbor in this situation. Jesus says, John 15, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just, I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so next is our holiness, that you know, love, and serve God and continue to look more like him. And then First Thessalonians says, for this is the will of God, your holiness, right? So is it, will this decision increase and actually bring me more towards holiness? Again, two easy things to bounce off here, two things we see in Scripture. How do we learn what glorifies God and what makes him holy? That's really important, right? What if I don't know what glorifies God or makes him holy in a situation? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, we, we grow to understand this by offering our lives to the Lord. It's this surrender piece again. You, you tired of hearing it yet? So I call this the art of the full send. <laughs> okay? Copyright. Uh, this, this is what we're talking about. This, this is what will change your life. Um, it's what I described in the beginning, but it's, it's joyful encounter with the Father who loves us that causes us to put it on the altar and say, Father, your will be done. Like, like, and the Father's not there to like, smash it all off and be like, ha, got you. That's not what he does. You know, he loves, he's patient, um, he knows us. So it's this, it's this Romans 12 mindset, like, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that is your spiritual worship. Um, don't be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? This do not be conformed, but be transformed. So this obedience we live out in our day-to-day, brothers and sisters, is actually teaches us God's will. As we lay our life down, as we say, I'm all in God, he teaches us his will. He teaches us what is for his glory, teaches us what is for his holiness. And this is a journey, right? It's not a one-time fix. Um, each of us is called to this new life in Christ, but it's a journey that unfolds through our life. And, only, and if we want to know the particular will of God in a situation, we have to follow the universal will of God, which is our holiness. Amen? That's really important discernment principle. Like, if we want to know a particular instance of what God's saying, we have to be kind of following his universal will, which is growing in holiness and growing in him as we lay down our life. So oftentimes we think of discernment. We've all fallen to this. We kind of say, like, well, what does God want me to do with my life? We kind of think of it as, as transactional. And the Father says, like, deep breath. It's coming, right? Like, we, but sometimes we just want to, like, strangle the decision to, like, we, like, hear it. But he says, patience. Because he's more interested in the relationship. So even more fundamental, the question of what does God want me to do with my life is the question, who am I and who does God want me to be? More fundamental than what God wants to do is actually, God, who are you calling me to be? What kind of person are you calling me to be? Because you're not a pawn on God's chessboard, right? You're not a robot. You're a son and a daughter. The Lord, first of all, wants us. He wants our hearts, but not just a specific set of directions and decisions for us. Good. Um, so, yeah, making decisions for the Lord. This is, I'm going to kind of go somewhat quicker here, but there's three kind of areas, big areas, you could say, in making decisions with the Lord that we got to figure out, okay? And this is all part of this lifelong pursuit. But these directional decisions actually impact each other. None of them are, are like, they're all related to each other. You make a decision in one, affect another. So they are calling, career, and community. I think those are on your outline if you're following along. So calling is basically our vocation or state in life. 
it's married or celibate, and how it's expressed, career, the work by which we earn a living, community, our place of Christian support and mission. So again, the fundamental decision of our life is to be a disciple. Amen? Amen. Good. Um, the decision we make about these three things, again, they impact each other. So um, whichever these decisions we make first impacts others. Let's say you know, you're graduating, you get a sick job offer, it's like out in Oregon, right? You don't know anyone in Oregon, you're just like, whatever, screw it, I'm going to go to Oregon, I guess, because this job pays 10K more than the job in Columbus, right? That decision right there, you, you, you kind of chose already, like, somewhat, like, what you're going to do with your calling, you're, well, I hope I find someone out there. Um, or you're, you're choosing, like, well, I hope there's some Christian community that can support me, maybe. The, the fact is, Christian communities are sometimes hard to find, and we know that how vital they are to our support and long-term longevity to live as a disciple. And then you guys experience that here. It's actually really helpful. <laughs> it propels you. And to live a Lone Ranger Christian is not really the call. And sadly, I wish all parishes in the country were thriving. It's just not the case. Um, and so it's just, it's just something to say, like, we just can't, like, if you go to Ohio State, right, what are they going to say? Like, what's the most important one of those three things? Career, right? They're like, hey, we want you to make as much money as possible so you give as much of that money back here. <laughs> make us look good. Get out there, right? But is that the way of the kingdom, right? How much of that has infiltrated our mind, right? How much of that is, is that our, like, primary decision in all this? Jesus says, follow me and do not be anxious. So um, the thing about these three things, though, too, we're sometimes we're hesitant to, like, commit. We're hesitant to step into it. Because um, we think that, like, oh, like, if I commit somewhere, like, that'll, be, that'll limit my options. It's like, yes. And by you not committing, you're also limiting your options. <laughs> right? Like, whether the decision you decide to make or not make, you are limiting options. Limiting options is every yes you make presupposes a set of no's. Right? And actually, there's something good about us when we say we give a yes because we now like, have a direction to, to like, attack and go at. Right? Limits are good and natural. Um, now, obviously, they're made in the Lord. So we think that cramps our style, but again, commitment to like, whether it's a spouse or a brotherhood or sisterhood to a career or community, it doesn't hinder us and limit our freedom. It actually brings more freedom because now I like, know where I'm going and I know where to invest. I'm not in this uncertainty and weird limbo phase. So... Good. That's kind of the, those three things. That was pretty brief. If you want more, talk to your pastoral leader or me um, or anyone else. Uh, let's talk about some obstacles to making these decisions. You guys ready? Obstacles are fun. The first one is the American dream. So there's a temptation to believe that discernment is a version of the American dream distorted by the prosperity gospel. What do I mean? I mean, if we say, like, if I do things God's way, God's role is to provide me with the perfect spouse, perfect career, the perfect Christian community, with the perfect picket fence, and the perfect 401k. It's not really how it works. <laughs> right? That's just me imposing my will on God. Like, God, I'll follow you as long as, like, these things are met to these exact specific specifications. Go. Right? That's us, like, kind of limiting God's grace. If God's love is a torrent, that's like us putting a big dam in the middle of the canyon and being like, and I'll build a lake here. Thank you very much. I need stag- like, I, I'm done with this whole torrent of love thing. Um, so it's true that God will provide for us in all those areas, um, but it, it's actually not true that it's going to look exactly like we think it will, right? So we got to be ready to do the Lord's will, not eager to impose our will on the Lord. So another obstacle would be letting our emotions get the best of us. So this approach says we need to figure out what we're passionate about or guide our decisions based on how we feel about the options in front of us. Um, basically treats our emotions as our masters, right? So what's a good approach to emotions? The first is to actually um, take a deep breath um, and start, like, 
saying, well, maybe I start trying on, like, no matter what I feel, I'm going to try to do what's right. No matter how pissed I am at this person, I'm going to try to reconcile that relationship and love them in the best way I know how. Um, did we can realize that our day-to-day emotions can mislead us because we aren't perfect in Christ yet? And we can understand that our emotions are indicators, but nef- definitely not dictators, right? It's a good way for us to grow past that. Another obstacle would be lacking in confidence in knowing God's will. Like, how do you know when you know, right? So, again, I said this in the beginning, but we shouldn't set the expectation that the result of any good discernment will be us knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt. Like, God usually won't zap us with, like, this is my sovereign will. Um, it's, he's not always interested in it. He could, but he doesn't. He's more interested in the process, interested in our hearts. So what I want to say here about lacking confidence is something about peace, right? Sometimes we can, you've heard a lot, probably people talk about like peace and discernment. And while I think sometimes we can not understand quite what's being talked about when the word peace is being used in discernment. So peace is more of a relational term. Like when we're in right relationship with God, there is peace, right? There is calm. There is tranquility. Um, But sometimes like if I have something Friday night and I don't really want to go to it and it gets canceled last minute, what do I feel? Kind of peace relief, right? Have you guys ever been in that situation? You're like, oh, no, this thing's coming up. I really don't want to go. Then it gets canceled, and you're like, oh, thank you. Like, I would describe that similar to some kind of peace, right? But it's not the same thing. So, because sometimes, like, if something hard is in front of us, and we just kind of, like, throw it off the table, we're like, oh, I feel so much peace. But it might just be relief. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily, like, peace from the Holy Spirit or peace that the Lord is leading us. It might just be our emotions being like, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to deal with this anymore. Right? That's not necessarily the Lord. Um, we're talking about peace. Peace and relief are not the same thing. Like, Jesus, Jesus didn't really feel peace in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen? <laughs> like, that wasn't a peaceful experience for him. But he was in the will of the Father, and he knew what was before him, and he surrendered his will, and the Lord brought about the salvation of the entire world through that sacrifice, right? So it's not to say that when you do make decisions sometimes, um, there can, like, can be this underlying peace. Like, for instance, there was this moment when I was going into college. I knew I should join this, this military type thing I did at my school, and I knew the frat life would probably kill me. And, but I was like, I just had this moment of realization where I knew I needed to go do this military thing. And I was like scared. I was kind of terrified. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. But there was a peace there in the midst of the kind of fear, if you will, of an, or uncertainty, you could say. So that peace can still remain, even though we're like, kind of like, I'm scared, but I know I'm going this way because I know the Lord is here. You guys track with me? Um, so, uh, yeah, again, knowing, knowing, um, it's not entirely this peace thing too. It's not entirely subjective. Sometimes we need to like bounce this off other people around us. Um, maybe they'll be the smartest to tell us like, I think you're just running away here. Or I think that's maybe you should keep diving in. Cause I don't know if that's the peace of the Lord. Maybe that's just you. So we have our brothers and sisters to, to bounce that stuff off of. So why does the way we make these decisions matter. This, this is kind of some fill in the blank if you're still on the, if you're on the outline. Because God cares about the how. God cares about the how. Not just whether we eventually end up in the right place. And the Father's relentlessly committed to us, to our hearts, to the relationship he has with us. He wants us to have a heart open to his will rather than imposing his will on us. He wants to teach us what it means to surrender, to lay our life on the altar. He wants, us to be sur- he wants us to be surrendered to him and not controlled by our desires, right? And next, he wants us to be motivated by freedom and not fear. Motivated by freedom. And the last one is the way we make decisions also has repercussions on our ability to live those decisions well. 
guys get those? Anyone need more? Good. So think about this. The last one, if the way we make decisions actually matters. So, you know, if you like, if you do value marriage more than you value the Lord, what kind of marriage are you going to have someday? It's going to be rough. Um, so the discernment is the opportunity for the Lord to transform our vision for how to live in his will, not just change the decision. So this is a journey. I've used that word a few times. Um, but this process of discernment, brothers and sisters, should not lead us only closer to a decision, but closer to the Lord himself. Right? As we live our life as a disciple, as we go full sin, as we put our lives on the altar, like we're going to a relationship with him and also clarity on where he's calling us. Right? They go hand in hand. They're not separate. So this, uh, and two, we're going to get into some methods here. You guys, you guys pumped for that? I know some of you are. Um, we're almost there. But what I want to say about the methods, even before we get there, the Christian's trust is in God, not in methods. Amen? Our trust is in the Lord himself, not just in the methods. So it's not just a checkbox, the methods I'm going to give you. It's not a checkbox. It's in the, to help something to take us to the Lord and actually think. Because, again, we should be joyfully submitted to the Lord precisely because his plan for us is better than our plan, right? He sees so much better. He says, Isaiah 55 says, so far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts, right? It's not God flexing on us. I, see, I read that as an invitation for us to like surrender, say, God, you see more. You see better. I'm in for that because I can't understand it all here. So good growth. Uh... So when we surrender to the Lord, it's really important to not put qualifications on it. Um, that's going to be a hindrance. That maybe should have been under obstacles. But when you surrender to God, it's like, God, I'll surrender to you except this one thing. Like, at least you're surrendering. That's a good move. But it's harder for him to work. We kind of have our one little pet, our one little thing. Like, all of it's yours, God, except this. Um, the Lord wants to bring us beyond that because there is more freedom for us there, brothers and sisters. There's more joy. There's more freedom. There's more everything. It's good. And two, I think sometimes... If you're new with discernment, we can kind of think like, man, if I don't get it right, God's going to punish me. God's, like, my life's going to be screwed up and like, God's going to get pissed. That's, I want to like, dispel that fear because um, we're following the Lord. Um, I think sometimes we can think that, again, he's, he's kind of quick. And we can be harder on ourselves than the Lord is hard on us um, because he's not. Um, but we can condemn ourselves. We can say, like, well, if I don't follow him perfectly, if I make a wrong step, if I misinterpret something, um, he's, he's going to bring on God's punishment. It's not the case, right? Our Father loves us. He's willing to work with us. He can work with anything. So as we're trying, he knows we're going to make honest mistakes. He's actually really okay with that, or else he would have not given us any kind of freedom. But he wants that. That's part of the process. But what he is kind of concerned with is like a mistrusting heart, a fearful heart that kind of holds back from him. He wants us all in because that's when he can operate best. So another way of mistrust we can hear is, how can I possibly hear the Lord speak to me? Maybe others can hear him, but I can't hear him, right? Maybe you're hearing that, you're thinking that right now. Like, great, this is all good, John, but like, I can't hear the Lord. I don't really trust that he can work in me in this way. But this is a false humility that actually denies God's power and love. It's a false humility that denies God's power and love. God is great enough. God can speak through the humblest of Christians. He can speak through anyone. He can speak to anyone. He can lead anybody. So who are you to be exempt of that? So you need to claim, in Jesus' name, that the Father wants to reveal his love for you in a powerful way and lead you on a life, right? Lead you on the vision he has for you. And this all, just to say, maybe you're picking up on this, it requires patience. Um, it requires patience, right? If we put a time limit on God, sometimes it doesn't always work in that time limit. 
and we'll get the time limits later, but we can't be like, God, I'm going to be a mature Christian in approximately May of my graduation date. Cool. Got it. It's not how it works. Um, he is a big plan. So, all right, here we go. Um, I, got, I got sheets for us. I pass these out later because I know you guys would just read this the whole time. It's the how. Because that's what I would have done, not no judgment. There you go. All right. How do we go about making decisions as disciples in the Lord? Again, we, our trust is in the Lord, not in methods. So if you trust in this method wholly, you're the fool, not me, even though I made it. And a little, little, uh, little help from Peter on some of these. We had a good conversation this morning. We were hanging out. So if you don't like it, take it up with Peter. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. We'll wait a couple more seconds. So I was asking... Um, we're asking Ellie about decisions. Like, Ellie, how do you make decisions? She's like, I don't know. She, she had no idea. She couldn't even comprehend the question. We're like, well, how do you choose what to eat? She goes, my teeth do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? I guess this is, that is reiterated to me. Like, this is hard. Um, the Father has mercy on us. And if this is new for you, that's great. Like, he sees you. He loves you. We're doing this together. And you're around a bunch of people who want to help you in that. So, this is new and overwhelming, no worries. Like, the Father knows that. He loves you, he sees you, and we're, we're going somewhere together. So the how. Step one, basic maturity. <laughs> That's fun. Um, so the best way, again, to learn God's unrevealed will is to walk in his revealed will. So this is basic stuff like, you know, am I seeking to live a life of disciple? Am I seeking to live free from serious sin? Right? Am I seeking... Um, relationship with brothers and sisters in my life? Am I living in the light? Am I open? Am I honest? Um, am I seeking the welfare of others? Right? Am I generous with my time? Am I generous with my money? Um, all, these, all these things kind of fall into this category. Uh, this is basic. And then, too, I think this, this full sin is part of basic maturity. You can't really start the life of a Christian until like, it really starts going. You can start it before, but it really starts going when we're able to put our life on the altar and say, God, what do you want? And he'll teach you how to do that. Doesn't have to be, he's not going to be a God who, like, rips it from you. He's going to patiently wait, and he's going, to, he's going to, like, love you and lead you until you're at a place of freedom where you're like, God, I think I can put this on the altar and say, I trust whatever comes back. Um, and that is a place for a Christian. That's a powerful place to be. All my life, the rest of my life. Two, step two, is intentional discernment. You like how the word intentional there. Can't, can't have a talk without it. Um, so, one, bring it up early. With your mentor in small groups. So this is fun. So uh, Gordy relates a story sometimes about how this, this young man comes up to him one day after maybe something like this. He's like, hey, you know, I would love to get your wisdom, like, thinking about dating. We'd love to, like, can't get your thought on it. It's like, yeah, sure, I'd love to meet. Sits so down with this guy, and it becomes really apparent to Gordy in the first, like, 10 minutes that this guy isn't looking for wisdom. He's looking for a blessing on his decision he's already made. <laughs> you know? That's like, how funny to do that with our mentors, right? Or people around us like, yeah, I already made up my mind. I'm just kind of hoping you just say it's a cool idea. That, if we relate to our brothers and sisters that way and our mentors that way, you can bet that's how you relate to the Lord as well, right? It actually goes hand in hand. It's kind of like, if I'm like, you know, we're, again, relating to authority that way, that's how I relate to God. Like, God, this is what I want. I'm going this way. Is that cool? And maybe we shine it up and dress it up in different ways, but that's, that's kind of what that tells us. Proverbs 12.15, I think it says... Um, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Don't get mad at me, get mad at Proverbs. Um, so, and then two, I think this one time in my life, uh, 
I used to be, this, um, not Father Brian Fisher, but Brian at the time, he was supervising me. And I think I told him something like, hey, Brian, um, so I got this trip coming up, and I'll be out of town these dates. And he was like, John, uh, thanks for telling me. But when you say it like that, you're just kind of telling me what's up. You're not really inviting me into a conversation about it. And there might be some things you don't see that would be helpful to know about. So um, you just kind of like, when you bring it up like that, you're just kind of like boxing me out entirely and not really letting me in. I was like, oh, snap. I had no idea I was doing that. And that was really helpful for me. So even how we communicate things to people in our lives, right? Sometimes we're just kind of like, yeah, this is what's happening. Cool. But maybe it's actually like bringing them into it. Like, hey, I was thinking. My family's going away this weekend. I know there's things going on, but I'm wondering if you think it's something that makes sense for me right now. Again, I was employed by SPO, so it's kind of why I was asking. Like, I guess in that instance, telling him, or I should have been asking. But this is just a cool kind of check on us, too. Are we just coming to the people, our mentors and small group leaders, even brothers and sisters in our life, and just telling them what's up? Are we actually leaving space for them to actually give feedback? Are we secure enough in the Lord? Because the fact is, whatever we're discerning, if it's of the Lord, it will be solidified. Amen? It will come to pass, right? It will work, and we need to have that confidence. So it takes the confidence and the security and the Lord's love for us to actually do this in the first place. These practicals here, intentional discernment, looking at the practicals through spiritual eyes. Again, we're not just going down this list and, like, sciencing the crap out of it. Uh, but we've got to surrender to the Lord and be docile to the Holy Spirit, invite him in. So step here, first thing I kind of wrote down was go big picture with the Lord. This is so helpful for me. There's a song that has a line that says, to obtain a bird's eye is to turn a blizzard into a breeze. Um, and that has been so helpful for me as someone who is more emotional and more like in, in the thing sometimes. This has been instrumental for me to kind of step back and be like, all right, God, what's the big picture? What's going on here? Like zoom out and say, where are you calling, what are you calling me to do right now? That might seem like not zooming out, but it is. It's like, okay, God, what's the big picture? What do you have in my commitments right now? Who's in front of me? Who you call me to love? Who you want to be a mission to? What have you called me? What have I committed to? To where have you been leading me, Lord? Like, where is the past? Where have you spoken in the past? What have you done in the past? What have you promised to me? How have you spoken to me in the past? Like, what ways do people, scripture, like, sometimes it'll work similarly, right? What are my mentors and my brothers and sisters saying, right? Is this decision aligned with growth in virtue, character, prayer, community, and mission, right? Kind of bouncing off each of those areas. Will this decision help in these areas? So other questions to ask the Lord and others. What is the Lord doing in this? Is it clear? Oftentimes it won't be, but maybe sometimes it is. Am I being hasty? I think of the uh, tree beard when I read that, if you know Lord of the Rings fans out there. Don't be hasty. Is it just me grasping for something good that the Lord is asking me to wait for? We got to open that, that box, right? We got to ask him, why this right now, Lord? Um, not to grasp with understanding for your control, but rather so you can engage how he's at work in your life right now. That's what that question is for. Has the Lord given you any directional words in the past? And does, does this decision line up with those? So this is all important, too, just as we do this, to keep in mind the ways the Lord guides us, okay? We got his word, scripture and scriptural teaching, right? We know his word. And the more we're in the word, the more we can understand God's will and his heart. His spirit, so the discern leadings of the Holy Spirit and signs. And I wrote here, not just coincidences, smiley face. Because sometimes we can be like praying, or like, God, I really feel like I'm called to marriage. And then she walks in and they're like, oh, thank you, God. It's probably just a coincidence, <laughs> you know? Stuff like that. Don't, don't read too much into signs. I hesitate to put that in there, but the Lord does work through signs, so I left it in there, but don't overlate to that. Um, his hand. His work in our lives in the past, again, this is what these questions above we're looking at. Our present circumstances, our ongoing commitments, 
A common sense evaluation of our lives and what God is doing in them will often tell us a lot. And then lastly, his body, the counsel of brothers and sisters, the wisdom of those in authority, the needs of his people. Again, this is not exhaustive. This is not perfect. We can be trusting the Lord, not in methods. His love for us is what guides us. But this is maybe if you dig into some of these questions, the Lord will help give clarity as we grow as his disciple and offering our lives to him, right? Last step three is take a step. Begin to dip your toe in, right? It's, it's probably not a good idea to like cannonball into the deep end. Um, maybe just take a step and then see what happens. Um, so, um, yeah, again, there's like different time frames for this too. Unlike step two, you know, if we were going to discern something big, like, you know, our life state, celibacy or, or, or marriage, it's probably not good to do that for like a couple months. All right, God, I'll give you till uh, April 30th to tell me if I'm married or not. Or be a priest or not. If not, cool. I'll go get married. Like, that's kind of you just being like, this is the plan. I'm doing it. Um, the same way, it's probably not good to be like, God, tell me in the next six months, supposed to live in household next year. It's like, well, I can probably get that a little sooner. Um, so there's different types of decisions that take different time frames, right? So step four is this established in a direction or calling or career or community. And our call is to be faithful in the long run, not to consistently doubt our commitments. And there's a joy because the more mature and intentional discernment process, the more confident and free you will be in your decision and less tempted to give up. It's a great gift um, to have that kind of certainty and, and clarity as we, as we walk forward with the Lord. Good. Um, so this is, yeah, this is our conclusion here. So what's next for us? What I want to leave us with is this mindset. So I want really particular, I want us to zoom out back again with me, if you will. Uh, this mindset, this formation mindset, is not, a formation mindset is not exclusive to a discernment um, mindset. As we, seek to, as we seek to grow in the Lord as a disciple, the Lord reveals his will more perfectly towards, towards us as we like, journey through life, as we walk towards him. So one of my favorite quotes, some of you know it, everyone is willing to save the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. And I think what this quote means more than anything is everyone wants to like, have the flashy, cool, awesome life and do the thing, but no one wants to do the hard interior work. No one wants to like really dig in with the Lord and like ask him to reveal, Lord, where am I holding back from you right now? God, where am I like kind of skittish? Where is your love not penetrated in my life yet? God, where am I like trying to control this whole thing? So we all want the flash. We all want the cool. That we're not willing, the hard work, the, the, the soul work is harder for us. And the encouragement for you all is to actually dig into this because that's where the Father is. He wants that for us. Um, good. So formation is a part of discernment. Uh, becoming equipped to live a life the Lord is calling you is a large part of what should be taking place in stage one. So the decision, I guess, for us, I'm asking you, is a decision to strive after Christian maturity, strive after the Lord, to go all in. Um, that actually, Lord, through this, you'll create me to be the right kind of person, not about what I will do, but who I will be. And if that is in place, it's going to work out. You got my back no matter what. So the last thing we're saying is, is in all this, wait for the Lord. Waiting's not fun. Waiting's not natural. Waiting isn't, and sometimes, you know, maybe the Lord isn't calling you to wait. But it's a good idea to maybe just have that in the front of your mind, say, in any decision we have is like, Lord, is this the right time? Just to ask the question, Lord, is this the time that you're calling me to it? Because in all the ways we're discerning, especially like in this room, you're discerning probably good things. And I um, always say like, Good thing at wrong time equals wrong thing, right? Um, so it's just a question of like, Lord, is this the right time? Um, Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. 
Um, so it's a really normal thing for us to take some time to discern, get a decision, and then be like, go. I call this like the seminarian effect. They discern out a seminarian within like two months they got a girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it happens. Because, <laughs> um, you know, in a way, you know, depending on how old they are, it's probably right and just. But, you know, they're like 19 years old, maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's just this idea of like, okay, figure it out, now go. <laughs> like, rah, 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 like, a, like a dog off a leash. Um, but oftentimes the Lord, like, we got to ask, like, Lord, are you calling me to wait? Or is the time now? So our culture detests waiting, but it's good for us. We rarely have to do it, honestly. And when we do, we're a bit shocked by it. Like, me? No. What are you talking about? Um, the Lord, but here's the fact. The Lord doesn't waste any time as you wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're in some holding pattern. Like, and again, we'll get into this later, but whole big thing on the, the idea of vocation. Sometimes we get vocation thing like, man, when I get my vocation, then my life will make sense and I can be happy and have a purpose. That is wrong. There's happiness for you now. There's purpose for you now. There's a deep abiding relationship with the God who loves you now. Amen. And if you're waiting for that to happen later, you're not going to find it there. It doesn't click. As a married man, I can't attest. There was no moment where it all was like the skies open and the spirit descended like a dove and God said, now your purpose is clear. It didn't go like that. It was an unfolding, right? Um, so if we think that's the case, um, I think we need to surrender that to the Lord because he wants to speak more truth into that. So again, he doesn't waste any of his time waiting too. It's not like, man, you're screwed to you get your vocation. It's not how it works. And there's fruitfulness now. There's joy now. There's life now. And the Lord wants to invite us into that now, even as you might be in a season of waiting. Um, again, if you're waiting forever, that's not the goal. But there is a part of us that needs to maybe just allow for this to maybe be the case in some situations. That's all I'm really saying here. Um, and the Lord said in says, Lamentations 3.25, it's always scary to quote Lamentations. <laughs> the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul that seeks him. So, again, the decision for us, brothers and sisters, is a decision of, um, is Jesus... Or of my life is, is everything on the altar form. So we're about to turn to worship here, but discernment, big, hairy, messy, a lot of things. But it really is quite simple. Is do we trust the love the Father has for us? Do we trust he has a vision for our life? And do we want to be about that vision um, here tonight and for the rest of our lives? Amen.